we have a sort of a shortish uh, season of Epiphany this year. It's one of those seasons that uh, grows or shrinks depending upon the date of Easter, which is uh, rather early this year, falling on April 1st. But nevertheless, we remember always at this time of year what it means. The Epiphany is a time of the manifestation of Jesus Christ to the world. We see this, and it's interesting because, you know, we have uh, various different stories from various different parts of his life. And so we skip around a bit chronologically and historically, but liturgically and theologically, the thread is very strong. Because, of course, we begin with the story of uh, the three magi coming to visit the Holy Family, followed by the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan by his cousin John the Baptist. And now this week, the calling of not one, but four of his disciples. And this is after John had been arrested. And when John was arrested, when he was in prison, he sent his own disciples to Jesus to ask him the question, are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus tells the disciples to go and tell John in prison what has been happening. The blind see, the lame walk, the good news of God has been delivered to the people. So he doesn't say particularly explicitly that he is the Messiah or the Son of God. He simply points to the deeds that have been done, to the things that the people have been shown about God by his works and by his words. And so Jesus continues his journey through Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and sounding a lot like John the Baptist at this point in time. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Because remember, John was baptizing in the River Jordan uh, and people were confessing their sins to him. But now Jesus is giving us a very similar message. And so as he's passing by along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two men, Simon and his brother Andrew, just going about their lives, casting nets into the sea because that's just what they did. They were fishermen. So all of a sudden, to these two, two men, totally unsuspecting, this person comes along, and maybe they'd heard of him, maybe not, But he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. What an intriguing invitation that is. And they didn't stop to say, well, what exactly do you mean by that, Jesus? Or, that sounds interesting, let me think about it. They just left, dropped the net, and left. And then... As he went a little farther, he saw James and his brother John, the sons of Zebedee, also in a boat, mending nets because they too were fishermen. And he gives them a similar invitation. And like the first two, James and John immediately leave. But in this case, it's not just the two of them, it's their father and the hired hand. So There's the family business right there. And 
seeming, seemingly without even saying goodbye to their father, they just leave. Now, having just uh, come back from a trip, you know, we love to go on trips and, and relax, and, but sometimes getting to that point can be a little stressful because you have to make sure the house is ready, make sure it's uh, tidied, uh, you know, the bills are paid, the dishes are done, the laundry's done, the pets are taken care of, etc., 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 before you can relax, you know. And so you do all these things, and you say goodbye to people, and you make arrangements. But in this case... None of that. These four men just up and left their entire lives behind to follow this itinerant preacher. It's an amazing story, and probably one of the reasons why we keep telling it to this day is because it is so amazing. Can you imagine, in this day and age, someone coming to you and saying, follow me and we'll go fish for people? you'd probably look at them like they were crazy. I would. But not these four. So Jesus is forming this base, this core, this nucleus of his disciples. These hand-picked 12. Now, Jesus had more disciples and more followers than just the 12. Um, He had uh, friends and supporters such as Mary and Martha, Lazarus, to name a few. Nicodemus, who was one of the the Pharisees, yet had sort of a a soft spot for Jesus. But the twelve, the core group, he was forming here, and they were quite a mixed bag. Some had skills with uh, accounting, tax collecting. Some were fishermen. They came from various backgrounds. And so we can see in that makeup of the original 12 disciples how God chooses us all randomly without any preconceived notions about us and uses the talents that we have that he gave us for the benefit of his kingdom and his church. And so these 12 who were a ragtag bunch and often fought with each other Some weren't very well educated. All of them had the wrong idea about Jesus to begin with. Most all of them deserted him at the the time when he needed them most. One denied him three times. And yet, one, and yet out of this group of 12, of course, Judas betrays him and leaves the group one way or another. But out of this group, springs a movement, springs a new way of life that very quickly after Jesus' death and resurrection, ascension, the day of Pentecost, very shortly after that, within a span of just a few years, a few decades, sweeps through this entire region, the entire known world, really. But they don't even stop there. The disciples go to the far-flung corners of the earth. We know that St. Thomas traveled all the way to India. Imagine that, at a time when most people never traveled more than about 50 miles from where they were born. These men were so aflame with the love of God, with the message 
of Jesus Christ, that they gave up their whole lives. They gave up everything, and in fact, many of them, most of them, met horrible deaths because of it. But nevertheless, they were compelled, because they had experienced the power and the love of God, to go into all corners of the earth and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so today, while we may not expect to find uh, the person of Jesus coming up to us and inviting us to be a disciple, nevertheless, we have his words, the Holy Scriptures, the sacraments of the church, which inform us and which equip us to be fishers of people in our own day. I remember as a kid, we had a song in, in Sunday school. Of course, we used the King James Version at that time, and it says, I will make you fishers of men. And there was a, a Sunday school song with lots of actions where we would cast out the real and you know, real in the real in the people, and I think it was meant more to, uh, to tire us out as much as teach us something about Jesus. But it stayed with me. And you know, that is... A, a, simple statement, one of the shortest little statements in the Bible, follow me and I'll make you fish for men or for people, whatever. And it's a call. It's not just a statement that Jesus made to those four guys on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, however many thousand years ago. It is a living, breathing call to all of us here today to go out into that world and to make disciples just as they did then, we do now. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has adopted us as brothers and sisters and therefore heirs of the kingdom of God. And we who profess him are a royal priesthood. Whether or not you are an ordained priest or not, you are nevertheless part of Jesus Christ's royal priesthood. And so, therefore, a disciple, an apostle, called to go out into the world and fish for people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.